Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Elizabeth Reese. I'm Marjorie Punnett. This is Best to the Nest, the podcast that is all about creating happy, healthy, beautiful homes that prepare us to fly. And listen to this, Marjorie. Yes, we have a Best to the Nest 2.0 today because we are doing a continuation of a conversation that we absolutely loved. Episode 79 was entitled Tough Talks. And we're going to continue that today. <laughs> so remember, we were talking with Dr. Heidi Croat, and we were just blown away by the amount of information that she had on how to talk to kids about sex. And not surprisingly, her message is not just about how to sit down and have this awkward conversation about sex. It's about creating a culture within your nest where conversation, talking about things in an honest way and, and kind of taking care of things that might be seemed uncomfortable, but just making them more of part of a conversation and not making such a big deal about it can help to raise children that are not only healthy when it comes to their sexual decisions, but all sorts of decisions. Because trust me, from the other end of this, there are lots of decisions. And I have to say back to episode 79, we were talking about the fact that talking to your children's about sex is the tough talk. And I would say in life, that will be one of the easiest talks you have with your kids. Really? If you're doing it right. Because there are lots of tough talks that come along the way. And sex is just the first, really kind of the first one. And so that's why I'm so glad that Heidi's coming back because it's so important that that conversation, that they feel like they can have any conversation with you because you'll be surprised the conversations you'll be having, particularly when they're teenagers and when they're in their 20s. Those are the conversations I'm having now. You're totally right. Now, okay, I'm glad that we're bringing up this idea of teenagers and 20s because that's exactly where we're headed today. Our first episode with Heidi was really focused on those little kids, the geographers. Remember we talked about that? Yes. And so go back and listen to that episode if you haven't. I know you're going to love it. But now we felt like we just didn't get to the older kids portion of the conversation that we needed to have. So Dr. Heidi Croat, she's a professor. She's a family sexual communication researcher. Isn't that a good title? She's a parent educated (laughs) educator. She's been featured in Minnesota Parent Magazine. And she has this program called Beyond Birds and Bees, Communicating Your Values to Raise Sexually Healthy Kids. So she wants to help us parents navigate these kind of taboo topics in a way that's consistent with our own family values and then also in touch with reality. And I think that is a big point. So we're so happy to have Dr. Heidi Croat back with us on Best to the Nest. Hi, Heidi. Hi. Thank you so much for having me back. Oh, Good morning. We're so glad. We need you. <laughs> we many need parents you. need you. We totally do. We got so many comments about this episode, Heidi. And I know even people on social media were t- 
tagging their friends and going, you need to hear this. Hey, we were just talking about this because I do think that these are conversations that when you go out to like dinner with your girlfriends, you're going, oh my gosh, little Charlie said this to me and I had no idea what to say. And you're really preparing parents for those conversations. But I want to just start with older kids and when you go beyond the idea of sex, we're talking about older kids just making decisions in general. So what do you focus on with parents when you think about preparing them to be good decision makers, to make the right choices? Yes, and that is so important. And so when we were talking last time, we really talked about this idea of raising sexually healthy kids, right? And we talked about that definition or that phrase and having it involve so many different things. So we talked about sexually healthy kids. They know and understand their bodies. They appreciate what their bodies are for and not for. And that's all of the stuff that we talked about last time. But sexually healthy kids grow up to be sexually healthy adolescents. Yes. Grow up to then be sexually healthy adults. And a big part of that is that sexually healthy kids are effective decision makers. Yes. And so when we think about this kind of in that big picture, we have to remember that what we do with our kids when they're little does set them up for what they're going to do when they're adolescent. And then that sets them up for their adulthood, right? Big time. Big time. And And Marjorie, you already said it, right? We really want to think about those conversations that we have with our kids when they're teenagers, when they're in their early 20s. We want them to keep coming to us Mm -hmm. and keep talking to us and sharing stories or asking questions. And that doesn't just happen, right? They're not just going to come to us when they're 18 and tell us about a situation they're in if we've never done that before. So that's why so much a part of this conversation, how do we help our kids be sexually healthy? How do we help them make good decisions? So much of that does go back to what are we doing when they're younger, Yeah. right? So what are we doing even when they're 2, 3, or when they're 8 or 10, 13, 14, all of that sets the stage for later. So one of the first things that I would say is that we want to think about starting young, right? So even parents of of older kids, we're going to talk a lot about that today, but parents of younger kids too, that your influence starts now, right? Helping your kids make decisions about what to wear to school right, is a really important kind of developmental part of raising kids who then can make decisions when they're older. So this is this is the part where I, I want some clarification from you on what types of decisions should they be making on their own? Yeah. Do you mean at what age, Elizabeth? I mean, when they're, yeah, when they're little, like where, where do you get with the independence where they can start to make those things? Yes. And it's so hard because I'm a parent of two kids. I have a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old. And I have a busy life, and I would like to just make most of their decisions because it's <laughs> It makes it easier. <laughs> yes. So I very much get that. But we also want to make sure that our kids are learning how to make decisions. And a big part of that is teaching them these kind of critical thinking skills about what it takes to make a decision. Okay. So I would say it's not even as much about what decisions they should be making on their own. It's more about do they know how to make a decision. Okay. So here's an example. So my seven-year-old, when she was in kindergarten, so last year, she's in first grade this year, 
Uh, she wanted to wear a skirt to school. It was one of those really cold days. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's cold, right? You can't wear a skirt to school. And she fought me on it. She wanted to wear a cute little skirt like her best friend wears. And we were fighting about it. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to put leggings in her backpack. Yeah. I'm going to let her realize because I kept saying, you're not going to go out for recess. And I was trying to rationalize with her, right? Nope, 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 nope. Yeah, it's like there's a hundred reasons why you cannot just wear <laughs> yeah. a skirt. Oh, God. And who but, has that time in the morning? <laughs> Exactly. So I just threw the leggings in her bag and let her go to school. And sure enough, she came home from school with the leggings on. Yeah. Uh, and it was everything I wanted to do to say, I told you so. Know. Right. Which is super mature. But very but human. What I, was, what I was able to do is let her just come home, sit with it. But then later that night, when we're talking about what to wear to school the next day, we can re, you know, go back to that conversation and say, okay, well, I noticed that you did come home in those leggings today. So that tells me that maybe tomorrow we should think about bringing pants to school or wearing them in the first place and just helping her kind of think through, I tried this one time, it didn't work. So what should I do different next, next time? time? Yes. And right? Heidi, this is so great for parents to hear. But what I will say is the hard part about what you just said is time. Yes. It takes time and energy to be open to have the patience to have those conversations. Patience oh, yeah. to have it in the morning and then patience to revisit it at night without just saying, I told you so. And yes. I think that's the one thing that I tried really hard to do and didn't always succeed. I mean, I, I did not always succeed at that, was to have that kind of patience, but also to to know when to just let it go because I didn't have the patience to keep trying to make my own point, which is, I think, probably maybe the point when you said, well, I'm just going to stick the leggings in her bag. <laughs> I'm yes. just going to do that. But exactly. It's, but that's the hard part about this that parents of young children have to understand is the time in now, I'm telling you, on the other end, you will be so grateful that you did it because you, then you will have the 18-year-old, the 20-year-old, the 26-year-old that will come back to you and still want you to be in conversation with them about important decisions. Yes. And I am so glad that you said that, Marjorie, because I can tell you all day long that this is what research says, and this is the best way to build that culture of conversation and to yep. help raise these sexually healthy kids. But yes, you have that great experience having kids who are older to say, no, I did put in the work and I've, I've seen that it worked, right? I saw yeah. the benefit of that and that my kids are coming to me now and we are talking about things. And that putting in just one minute into this conversation about the leggings for the next day, that one minute yep, is big setting deal. the stage yeah. for the next conversation. So yeah. I, I wonder then, Heidi, and this probably will apply to people who don't have children, people who are just people making decisions, which we're all people and we're all making decisions <laughs> regardless of what time in life you are. Yes. I mean, when you talk about research and you, this is so your area of expertise, I mean, what are the qualities of a great decision maker? Oh, I need to know this. That's a great question. Do you hear the desperation in her voice? I do. I do. And it's the same desperation that I often have myself <laughs> yes. and the same that I hear from parents all of the time. So here's kind of the big things to think about. So first of all, to be a good decision maker, you need to know what decision you're making, why you're making that decision, and then you need to know how to make that decision. Okay. Oh my God. So, that's so fabulous. Right? It's and so it's, basic, but it's, but it's so... Simple. Yes, but it's so 
So many of us don't ask those simple questions right. when we're making decisions. It's really true. We just do it, do Marjorie. It. I know. <laughs> I know. So I'll have you think back to maybe when you were a teenager, and I think about how often we were told things like, don't drink, yes. don't do drugs, don't, don't have sex, smoke, don't yep. have sex, yep. exactly. And you might have agreed. You might have been like, yes, I'm not going to do any of those things. I don't want to. But then you got to a party, and everyone around you was drinking. And you looked around, and you thought, well, they seem fine, yeah, right? I know. I, I thought maybe drinking meant that we were going to just automatically get drunk and make stupid decisions. Right. And, and then the fires of hell would come upon exactly. you. Right. right. And none of that's happening. Exactly. I think about that scene in the movie Mean Girls. Yes. Remember where the gym teacher is telling the kids basically like, if you have sex, you will get chlamydia and you will die. <laughs> <laughs> right? well, at some point, teenagers, we look around and we realize yeah. People are having sex and they're not dying. And guess right. what? That was a lie that they were telling me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's the truth. Yeah. And it becomes yeah. like these consequences that you terrified me about were a lie. What else were you lying to me about? Exactly. So then that uh, that already then puts a wedge between the child and the parents because yep. there's some distrust there. But it also means that the child has not made their own decision. If the only reason I wasn't going to drink or have sex is because my parents told me not to, then when I'm in a situation where I look around and I go, but everybody else seems fine. No one else is having those terrible consequences that my mom and dad told me about. Then I no longer feel convinced that I should make that decision. Yes. Right now, all of a sudden I'm thinking, well, maybe I should have that drink. Maybe it's not so bad to have sex. Right. So yeah. we need to be able to know what decision to make, but we want to help our kids make it for themselves. It needs to be their decision. And I think one of the I think one of the things too, especially when you look at when we look at the big issues that are going to come for teenagers, it's going to be sex, drinking, and drugs. Right. Um, you know, let's just put studying and all of the decisions about actually going to school and getting all that work done to the side for now. It's right. it's it's drinking, drugs, and sex. Right. And I think what's interesting to me when I even think about my own life and the choices that I was making, and I grew up in the seventies and eighties, so my teenage years were in the in the early eighties. Everybody was drinking. And there were a lot of drugs everywhere. And so for me, when I would see drinking, part of the confusion was, and I'm talking about when I was, you know, 16, 17 years old, part of the confusion was, well, my parents drink. Right. And I see, you know, I would see parties and I'm I'm not saying that I'm blaming them for the fact that I took a drink when I was 17, but I think that that's the conversation I tried to have with my kids yeah. about, and I didn't drink much when they were growing up, so I really didn't have to... I didn't have to have the big conversation, oh, you know, dad and I get drunk and it's okay for us to get drunk, but this is why it's not okay for you to get drunk. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to have that because that wasn't happening around them, but we had friends that were doing it. And right. so we would talk about that and they would see it and we would talk about it. And I think that's the conversation I missed from my parents is why are you doing what you're doing and why shouldn't I do what you're doing? <laughs> so exactly. And, and so I'm not out here to tell parents, you know, it was my own choice not to drink when they were in high school for the most part. But I think that I'm certainly not telling parents that they have to do that. But I do think there has to be a conversation that if you're a family that parties, and there are lots of them, yep. that you have to have the conversation with your kids about why you get to do it and they don't. Because the law is not of enough an, an explanation for kids. That's true. To say it's illegal is not enough. To, to exactly help them right. make a good decision. And I think back to, you know, a lot of us grew up in this, what we would call like purity culture, right? Which really tried to tell, especially young women, but young boys too, 
that if you had sex before you were married, that you were somehow damaged. And yeah. Oh, gosh, right? yes. Yeah. But part of this was this idea that, like, all of a sudden, one day it's okay. Like, one day it's bad, and the next day you get married, and it's wonderful. And right. It's great. I know. <laughs> and it's That's really... Oh, Heidi, thank you for saying this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's really screwed up. So then we get a lot of women, and again, men too, but uh, the culture really was aimed at women. You got a lot of women who said, okay, but first of all, what if the next day it's not so great, Yeah. <laughs> right? And I'm confused about that because you told me it was going to be wonderful now that I'm married. But also you had women who didn't know why is it bad one day and okay the next day because no one explained the why. Right. It was just don't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's exactly what you're talking about, Marjorie, with the drinking or the drugs, that all of a sudden we're saying when you're a grown-up, sure, watch what I'm doing and you can go have fun and you can drink and you can do what you want. Oh, but not when you're 18. Right. And no one's really telling us why. No one's telling our kids why. And so then it's not their decision. Because when they're at that party and someone says, hey, do you want a drink? They're not going to be able to just say, no, my mom doesn't want me to. Yeah. Right? No, God, no. (laughs) Well, plus, I mean, I think the idea of making decisions based on disappointing or not disappointing your parents is a terrible idea. I mean, because then all you're doing is creating a person who's just constantly seeking this approval of their parents based on the decision that they're making. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I feel very uncomfortable with the idea of them making a decision solely based on what my reaction will be. I don't like that idea. You know what? I'm comfortable with, I'm comfortable with part of that idea. I'm comfortable with part of it that I'm not going to do this because it's not what we do. Yes. And And I don't know if that's right or wrong. No, it's great. And so I think we maybe mentioned this last time we talked that there's this phrase that I use all of the time that says, in our family, right? In our family, we believe, or in our family, we do this. And you're exactly right, Marjorie. I think it's okay for our kids to make decisions because they think, in our family, we don't do this. Yeah. Right. In our family, we do this. But if it's because my mom doesn't want me to, my mom told me no, my mom will be mad at me, my dad's going to kill me, right? Those kinds of things that so many of us grew up thinking, yep, right. people around us who thought, that is not a healthy decision that you're making then. That's right. a decision made out of fear. Yeah. And so then when we make decisions out of fear, they're often uninformed decisions. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. So then we yeah. get into a position where we get a lot of young people who, because they've been making decisions out of fear for so long, once they change their mind, they aren't able to make an effective decision or they aren't able to make a safe or healthy decision. Oh, my gosh. It's every kid in college who didn't take a single sip of alcohol in high school because their parents said absolutely not and put the fear of God in them about drinking. And then they got to college and they frankly went went balls to the wall. I mean, that is what happened. And I can think of the names of my friends (laughs) who did this because... It was so extreme. And honestly, I mean, and Heidi, there were, unfortunately, I think, especially with the drinking, I mean, there is such a cultural thing in the United States, which is don't do it, don't do it until you hit 21 and then just go crazy, which is, which I think, I mean, there's no gradual learning how to use alcohol. There is in other cultures and learning that drinking doesn't have to mean getting drunk. I drink wine all the time and I am very rarely drunk. But this, but this goes, oh, sorry, go ahead, Heidi. Oh, I was just going to say, Marjorie, that the same thing applies to sexual relationships and sexual behavior, because we almost, we don't teach kids that there can be this gradual relationship that you build. We usually tell kids things like, don't have sex, and that's it, 
And then all of a sudden, one day they change their mind, but they're not prepared. They don't know how to have a healthy sexual conversation with their partner. They don't know about their sexual options in terms of either contraception or sexual safety. They don't know their options. They don't feel comfortable talking about it with other people. They don't know how to say, yes, I consent or no, I don't, because no one helps them with that. And so a lot of young people grow up thinking it's either no sex or sex. Mm-hmm. And they don't realize that there's a lot of ways to show love and intimacy yep. in a relationship. That yep. you can be intimate with your boyfriend or girlfriend, but it doesn't have to be sexual. And if it is, there's a lot of different things that you can do to show that intimacy. But we don't talk about it, just like what you're saying with the alcohol. Yeah. We just say, don't do that, it. Don't have sex. Yeah. Well, this is this is a huge thing, and I think everybody listening who has young children and children who are at dating age, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, because that's when the kids start going out with each other. Mm-hmm. That's a really, really important thing that you said is we can say don't have sex. But if you're going to say don't have sex to your kids, you really do owe it to your children when you think they're mature enough to handle it, to have the sexual, what I would call the sexual buffet conversation. <laughs> <laughs> And that is, these are your other options, and these are all fun. So look at these other options. And I think that's kind of what you have. And you're the doctor, so please tell me if this is off base, because I don't want to steer people wrong. But I think if kids know that other things are possible and that that's okay and that's a part of sexual growth, it really is, is to be able to explore all those other things without having sex right away. I think you're right. And I do think that this is how we've ended up in this dating culture where it's like you like make out on the first date and have sex on the second date. I Which mean, I think because it's, it's such a black and white. I think it's they. It, it totally makes sense to me that these children have all been raised, myself included, mm-hmm. in this like black and white environment. And then you're right, Heidi. You get into a dating situation, and it's either you're not having sex or you are, and there's no middle ground. Exactly. And I talk to parents all the time, and I, I mean, again, I'm a parent myself, so I get that having a discussion with your kids about other types of sexual behavior Mm -hmm. might seem awkward. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of parents (laughs) who don't want their kids engaged in any sexual behavior, which is also okay. But the Mm. point is that we want to be able to help our kids know they get to choose. We're not going to be there with them in these moments, right? When my kids start dating, I don't get to go on all of their dates and, right, assuming they get to leave the nest at some point, I don't want to be on all of those dates. <laughs> oh, God, no, you don't. No, no you do not. No. But we want to know that when they're in those moments, they're going to be able to think through, what do I believe? What is my value about sex or sexuality? What is my relationship here? What is my goal? What words, what's the language that I can use here to either say yes or no? What are my rights? And we want them to know all of that before they get into these situations. Yep. They need to know that why. What is your value around this? Why are you going to make this decision? Same with drinking. If you're not going to drink in high school, right? Marcia, I love that you said uh, the law is not enough to deter them. (laughs) Yeah, that's very (laughs) true. Same with my mom doesn't want me to. Right. Because it's illegal or because my mom doesn't want me to. Those are only going to get them so far. But at some point, they need to know for themselves. Why are they not going to drink? And maybe it is because they're a rule follower and they don't want to break the law. But it needs to be them because they identify that way. And it's their choice, their conscious choice that they made going into the situation. But then they also need to know how to follow through with that decision. 
which is the other part of this. How do you actually make the decision? Right. And that's a big deal. When you say what's the how of it, it's a very big deal for, I think, a kid to not be – and I'm just going to use drinking because that's what I'm more familiar with – to be the one that says, no, I'm not going to have anything to drink. And that, and that's the how of it. And I know for my oldest son who didn't drink and still doesn't drink really at all, I don't think. He might drink a little bit in social settings, but he never drank in college. I think that that was hard for him. And especially after college when there was still sort of the club scene going on. Well, I say hard for him. That's not right. I shouldn't speak for him. I think it was a negotiation. Yeah. Of being the non-drinker because he he did it obviously, but I think it was it it does it does change who you are in a group if you're the one saying you know I'm not going to have anything to drink for sure. And what we want to help our kids do because exactly I mean I just again I love that example Marjorie because you want your kids to feel like it's not that hard of a negotiation right you mm-hmm. want them to feel comfortable and confident in those situations just saying this is what I do. Right. Right. Yeah. Again, so they need to know why they're going to do it in the first place. But then what we can do as parents, and again, this is what starts when they're young and we keep repeating it over and over. I mean, consistency is the key here. But over and over, we get to help our kids develop the language skills so, so that they're prepared for this. So you can give your kids examples of how they can say no. Right. That maybe when it comes to drinking, maybe help them come up with a funny little joke or a one liner. Right. That they can use about why they're not drinking. Right. Right. Help them come up with it so that they're ready in the moment and that it's something that they've thought about. They're prepared for. And then they've practiced. Right. They've actually practiced at home with you saying this is why I'm choosing not to drink. You know, talking to our kids about sex, it's important that we help them think through how are you going to say no if you are in the moment, if you are getting hot and heavy with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's like such a vintage expression. Point, <laughs> right? When it gets to that point and you want to stop, how are you going to say no? How are you going to stop? And we need to help our kids get the language prepared so that they know what to say in those moments. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I'm thinking about, and believe me, I'm not going to go too deep into this one, my sexual experiences as a teenager and – I think in a way what's changed. So the boys that I dated in high school went to a Catholic boys high school. And so we were all sort of being given the same sexual messages. So for me, I think it was easier to navigate that world because sex was already off the table for all of us. And so, and, and believe me, I'm sure there were people that were having sex. I'm not saying that, but for the person that I dated, that was not an issue but there were other things that we had to negotiate and talk about, like, what we were going to do. And yeah. I think there was there were awkward times in that. And I, I, I wonder, with if you had a teenage girl or a teenage boy, do you practice that conversation of, no, we're not going to have sex, but these are our other options? Like, is that something that's – is that a conversation you should be having with a 15 or 16-year-old so that it they is. have the language to use to say? I would, okay. I would say – even have the conversation earlier than that, right? Okay, yeah. So part of it's going to go back to when they're even a little bit younger. I would say when they're in middle school, when they are starting to learn more about sexual behavior from their friends or they're starting to hear about it more, that's when you can just start to kind of every now and then, not a big conversation, but every now and then you just throw in your value about that, right? Like, well, in our family, we believe this. Well, in our Mm -hmm. family... You know, we believe that you're not quite ready for that. But when 
you start to think about it, I hope you will talk to me about it. And you just say things like that over and over again so that you're setting the stage for then, yes, when they are older and you know that they're starting to date, I think it's a great idea to sit down with them and talk them through, here's some of the ideas that you might talk about with your boyfriend or girlfriend. But they're right. never going to sit through that conversation with you, right, if they've never heard you talk about these right. things before. Yeah, yeah, right. that's totally true. That's really true. It is, boy, this really you realize that it's so much more than just one talk. And I think how we've been misnaming this idea of the talk for so long. I think, Heidi, one thing that I don't know if we've really talked about is how to figure out what your family values are with this. Because really, I mean, I think a lot of partners... I mean, I know just speaking for myself and my husband, we both had very different sexual histories as teenagers. Mm -hmm. And... I don't think that we've really talked specifically about what, I mean, I don't know. I feel like Jay is going to be like, oh, hells no, she's not having any (laughs) sex and none of this is going on and none of this is happening, especially since he's never had a daughter before and now he has one and he doesn't really know how to navigate that. So where do you even start with creating what your family value is? That is a great question. And you gave the perfect example. It's the example that I hear and use all of the time, which is that. (laughs) We kind of have this joke in our culture, and I don't think it's a joke, but we use it as a joke, right, that husbands or dads are really protective of their daughters and that they're just going to say, you know, no, you're not, no dating until you're 30. Right, right, right. And that's something that we kind of joke around with. But what I encourage parents to think about and to talk about with their own partners, so not just talking about with your kids, but that you and your partners sit down together and grab a bottle of wine and sit down one night and just talk about yeah. what what are our goals? What how is this brought up to you? Did you like it? Did you not like that? What do you hope for our kids? And not just what do you hope for them, but then realistically, what do you expect from them? Yeah. Because you can great. hope one thing, but realistically, do you expect them to do that if that's not what you did? Right? I mean if he's if your husband says, Well, no dating until she's thirty. Yeah. Okay, well that's great, but realistically I know. Right. What know, did you do? I know. What did you do? Yeah. You, you were know, making out at fourteen in stairwells. Like I know and, that you know, that's how it goes. And that's fun. <laughs> that is super talk, fun. We wanna talk with our partners about what are your sort of hopes, but then what are your expectations? But I think one of the important things here is that you talk about it for each child individually. Oh, that's good. Because I think your example, again, Elizabeth, really is surprising, especially for men. And I hate to put it on them, but it's the culture that I think has sort of brought up the men to believe that their daughters shouldn't be doing these things or they have jokes about pulling out their shotguns and things like that. Yeah. But when dads actually realize that they do have different expectations for their sons than their daughters, I think that's a really big aha moment for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Because I think dads also think they're joking. But if you really were to say, okay, well, at what age do you think it's appropriate for our daughter to start making out with someone? And at what age do you think it's appropriate for our son? If they think that it's a different age for both of those kids, Whoopsie. that is a really big aha for them. Because yeah. they start to realize that maybe they have some different stereotypes or some different expectations. And that's a great conversation for you to have. And and I have a quick question for you on this. And and I will say that having that conversation, Elizabeth, is really fun. The conversation you're going to have with Jay. Oh, yeah. Because you learn so much about your partner and you learn so much about what they really think and how they who they were and who they're becoming and what kind of father they're going to be. And I I am so grateful that Ian, because I think of, of probably his mother was very open, was very open about talking 
to our children about sex, sexuality, all of those things. And we had, you know, we were married six or seven years before we had children. So we knew, we knew pretty clearly about what our expectations were going to be for our own kids in terms of that, because that was a really important thing to talk about for us. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I'm curious about, and it's one of the things that we did, and I don't know whether this is right or wrong, and you can tell me it was wrong because there's nothing I can do about it now, <laughs> is we were really clear about our own sexual experiences with our kids. And I'm one of four girls. I don't remember talking really much at all about sex with my father. So I felt like it was important that not only did my husband talk about his sexual experiences with our sons in a nuanced and discreet way, but I felt it was important for me to talk about mine as well. So they, they were also learning sort of a woman's perspective on those things. Yes. And How- so I think, first of all, if you have a, a mother and a father in the picture, I think that it is important that both play a really big role in these conversations. So that, one, you feel really connected if you have a same-sex parent, right, that a daughter might feel connected hearing that from her mother, but that, like you're saying, that your sons also get it from this other perspective, too. Mm -hmm. And we want, I mean, it sounds really weird to say out loud, but you want your sons to think about the fact that their mom, their sisters, their grandmothers, they are women, right? And that they are these, they had these same experiences that they're now going to go have with these girls that they're dating, Right. And you want them to think, oh, this is somebody's daughter. Yes. Right? This is someone's sister. Right. And it makes them right really remember that they're humans, that they're people, that you treat people with respect. And it helps them think about this a little bit differently. And same goes for boys and um, for girls as well. But I think that one of the, the tricks here is, yes, talking to your kids about your own experiences is really important if you want them to know that, right? So for a lot of parents that I talk to, they will say, I don't know how to tell them that. I did not do what I want my kids to do, right? So a a kind common example would be, I did not wait to have sex until I was married, but I would like my kids to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, so then we want to talk about, well, why do you have that hope for your child? Why is that your expectation? Why did you not meet that expectation for yourself? And then right. does, if you think through that process, does it change what your expectation is for your child? And maybe it doesn't. Maybe that's still your goal for them. But then what you want to think about is helping your child really know why you cared about this decision. So oh. are you happy with the decision that you made? If you did not wait until you were married to have sex, but you want them to, is how do you feel about that? And if you are not comfortable with that, if you say, you know what, I really wish I would have waited and here's why, that is such a great, honest lesson yeah, to teach right. your kids. Yeah, for sure. Or I wish right. I would have waited for the right person or a, exactly. a more committed relationship or yep. doing it because I was really ready, not because somebody else was ready. I want to ask you too, Heidi, about this culture that we have. And when you talked about this different expectations for boys and girls, I think this yes. is so common. And now I am a mother of a boy and a, and girl. a girl. And so I'm looking at these differences all the time and I'm always navigating. I mean, my son, and when people joke and say, oh, he's all boy. I mean, he yes. is. It's like, yeah. they're there different. are they're, They are so <laughs> different. And you just, I mean, I'm telling you when Franklin was born, we didn't even own like a truck or right. Any, I mean, any or anything like involving sticks. I mean, we just didn't have that stuff. And then, and so then it was Franklin would find anything. I mean, if he was like, he wanted to grab the fireplace poker to start smashing something. That's, 
how he operates. And so I've seen those differences, but then I also see the cultural messages around sex that we get that are so different from boys and girls. And fundamentally for me, I think that I have the biggest problem with this idea of men getting sex and women giving it up. These things make me crazy. And I hate the whole idea. I hate that whole context. And even, I mean, I'll hear comments and I just am like, guys, and even within my married friends, like, oh gosh, I had to give it up tonight or blah, blah, blah. And I just like, this stuff is so hard because it's so ingrained (sighs) within not just dating and adolescence, but into marriage, into relationships. So Heidi, what's your take on that? Oh, in a big way. First of all, I couldn't agree with you more. It's one of the reasons that I went into this for my job. It's one of the reasons I still have a job doing this because I care so much about the fact that we talk about sex with the value that we want it to have. If we want sex to be something of value, Mm -hmm. we need to talk about it in a way that shows that it has value. Right. And our kids are going to start to pick up on those things, right? So you have a dinner party, your kids are downstairs. At some point, they're going to pick up on, oh, somebody's talking about giving it up, right? Yeah. And maybe they're teenagers and you think they're not listening, but they pick up on those messages. They're also getting those messages from everywhere else in the world. So our job as parents is to be able to talk to our kids about the value that we think is associated with sex. And so you asked earlier, too, Elizabeth, about how do you know what your values are? Well, part of knowing this is, yes, what are the sort of behavioral expectations about sex? But your behavioral expectation about sex is not the same as what your value about it is. Okay. So when we say something like don't have sex until you're married or don't have sex until you're older, that is a behavioral expectation. But the value about it is the why wouldn't I do that? And so for a lot of us, if you don't know, if parents don't know where else to start with this conversation with their partner or in their own head, if you're trying to figure out what your value is, a lot of us probably share some general values. Sex is relational, right? So we want to mm-hmm. think about it being with a relationship. Mm-hmm. Sex is personal, which means that I get a say, right, in what my body is doing and how my body is feeling. But it also means that I get a say in when I do these things. And a lot of us would say, right, that sex is not only relational and personal, but that sex is about respect. Sex is about critical thinking skills. I need, I mean, it sounds weird to make it so formal, but you need to be a critical thinker in order to decide that this is something that you should be doing, how you're going to be doing it where you're going to be doing it, with whom. So when we think about our values about sex, I think most of us know that it's this much bigger picture than just a behavioral expectation. For sure. And so we need to start talking to our kids about sex in those terms, helping talk to our kids about things like consent, decision-making, critical thinking, showing love. What does intimacy mean? What is a relationship? What do we think appropriate, healthy relationships are? And all of that's kind of on, like, the periphery of, of sex and sexual behaviors, but it all matters so much when helping our kids make effective decisions about sex and sexuality. What you said there, I, I could play that over I and know. over and over I again. Know. because I didn't even breathe. I, my watch was telling me to breathe because <laughs> I, I, I was just I, listening. <laughs> and I was taking notes because what you're talking about – is so so big. We keep saying, you know, we're we're talking about how our how our kids are going to become sexually healthy adults, but then really what you're also talking about is something that I think so many people in marriage aren't talking about to each other. Yeah. Because so many I think adults aren't sexually healthy. Yeah. 
And yeah. so we're really asking people to step up their game. Oh, you almost have to, I feel like just hearing what you're saying, which was so big and so important, is we're really asking people to step up their game about their own sexual health before they can even make sure that they're trying to raise sexually healthy kids. And I think that's an uncomfortable thing for people to recognize, oh, my God, I'm not really having sexually healthy conversations with my husband. Because, Elizabeth, when when we used to do the morning show, I mean, we would get onto these conversations about sex and we'd have people call in and they would tell us things and you'd be like, oh, my God. You know, and it was just like (laughs) – and so – but part of it was I remember so distinctly having a conversation and I don't remember what the launch of the conversation was, but we were talking about using sex – using sex as a manipulation. Right. And the amount of women that were calling in and saying, oh, you know, I only give my husband sex every – three days if he like takes out the garbage and I'm exaggerating but that was kind of what it was coming down to it's like sex is a bartering tool right and I just thought oh my god no and but but I think what all of what you just said is so important and I hope people take that in to really think about their own views on really to think about themselves than to think about how they view sex within their marriage so that they can pass on something really healthy to their children well, and the theme of this so much, I mean, and the theme of so much what we talk about on Best to the Nest that we always come back to, that I don't think we intended to come back to, but when we launched this podcast, Marjorie, it just happened, which is connection, right? Yeah. I mean, connection is at the core of so much Everything. of what we're talking about. Connection in terms of those conversations, in terms of connection with other people, how you show your love for other people. I mean, that is at its core. And I think if you're having honest conversations about how to connect with people, in all types of relationships, right. you're going to be kind of by default raising sexually healthy kids. Do you think, Heidi? Exactly. And if you think about how most of us want our kids to be in a situation maybe different than we're in. I mean, I, I would say I'm in a very healthy sexual marriage, right? But you think about, I want my kids to maybe be more confident in those decisions earlier on in life. I yeah, want right. them to be really comfortable with how they use sex in their relationship. That's exactly what I want when you say that. I want them to be yeah. comfortable with those decisions and comfortable with it earlier on than I was. I felt like I went through a lot of like yeah. kind of angst and trying to figure out what was right and what was wrong and because I didn't have the whys. And yep. it's a and it's a capital me me too as well. I think it's a capital yep. A angst. These aren't little things. These were big right. things to get comfortable with with what for me as well of what I was doing and why I was doing it. But I didn't have the language or the setup in my head of just the basic thing of oh I'm going to decide to do this. What am I doing it? Why am I doing it? How am I going to do it? Yeah, yeah. I didn't have that framework. And so if we want our kids to grow up to be sexually healthy, like we're talking about how we want ourselves and we want our friends to be sexually healthy, that all starts with the little things that we do when they're young. It does not have to happen overnight. It won't happen overnight. It starts with the little things that we do when they're young, and it continues with our consistency when they get older. And that's how we can raise sexually healthy kids who make these sexually healthy decisions. Oh, my gosh, Heidi, you're so good. Okay, you know what? I want to do something before we go. I want to make sure that people know that that there is more information from you, like research, because you have a whole training thing, right? P- can't yeah. people take these classes? I think that because after listening to this conversation, you're probably going, I want more Heidi. I need more of this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I do. So I do speaking events all over. I talk to parenting groups. I talk to schools and churches. If you just you and a group of friends want to have me come over and sit down and just chat with you about these things, you can. My That's website great. is communicatingyourvalues.com. You can subscribe to my newsletter. I send out a newsletter every couple weeks with just answering 
questions that just like you all are asking and trying to give some information and share some of the research that we have. You can go to bbbnewsletter.com. My program is called Beyond Birds and Bees. So that's the bbbnewsletter.com. <laughs> and you can subscribe and I'd be happy to share more information. Oh, that's so good. We'll put all those links in the show notes too. But I just wanted to make sure that people felt like, oh, what can I get more from Heidi as we're having these conversations? Heidi, it's Thank so you. good. You're so fantastic. I mean, we've done two episodes with you and I feel like we could do five oh, more. So more. You, oh, um, more, we're going to make Dr. Heidi Croat, an official contributor to Best to the Nest. We didn't even ask her. We're just telling her. Thank you, Heidi. We so appreciate you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Oh, my goodness. It's just so good. Breathe. I know. I love it. My watch was telling me to breathe. Because I wasn't even breathing because I didn't want the sound of my own breath to get in the way of what I was hearing from her because it really is revolutionary stuff. And I think what you said, Marjorie, the big challenges here is that you are asking people in this realm because of the way that 99.9% of us were raised, right? Mm -hmm. You are asking us to not only teach our kids something, but we have to learn it for ourselves ourselves before we can teach them. You know, there are a lot of things in life that... You can teach your kids in terms of your values and things like that based on what your parents got right. But I think, you know, frankly, a lot of our parents just didn't get this quite right. And so their parents didn't have exactly, it right. Exactly. Exactly. And so you're not only charged with influencing your own children, but when you think about it, creating this culture of communication within your family is changing our entire culture. It, and I, I think what was particularly poignant was when you asked the final question about how, as adults within marriages, we're talking about sex. Yeah. That language is really, really important. The idea of men getting sex and women giving it up, even when we joke about that, if that's the, if that's what you're modeling within your own marriage, Mm -hmm. you want to rethink that. I think. I really do. I think you want to rethink how you're talking about and how you're living out your own sexuality within your marriage and what, again, are you modeling for your kids? Right. Because, I mean, wouldn't you think in a sexually healthy relationship that sex is something that is a tool to connect, right? Yes. Not beautifully said. A tool to connect, not something to be used to gain or lose power. And that's what's happening in a lot of relationships. Oh, yeah. And it's cyclical. You know, I mean, it happens at different times. I mean, when you talk about sex within your relationship, there are times when you're having a lot of it. There are times when you're having little. (laughs) Yeah. And it it is, I mean, obviously, it's a really big issue. And I'd be really curious, and we may have to get a marriage therapist on, is especially in sort of the 40s and 50s, the the breakdown of a marriage, how much does that have to do with couples not understanding or letting go of connecting through sex. Yeah, and having physical intimacy Missing. being something important because there yeah. is a different there are different things that come along with it when you're in those reproductive years than when yep. you're not. Yep. Oh my gosh, good oh, stuff. I good love stuff. that Heidi. She is really a gift. I yeah, am she's so coming back. glad that um we've gotten to know her and um what a fun episode. She's coming back. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with a friend. If you have a moment, please give us a review at Apple Podcasts. From Ari Bobari. Ari Bobari. <laughs> I like that. 
She says, my favorite podcast. She said, I absolutely love this relatable podcast. I'm a single mom, but I still find so much value listening and learning from Elizabeth and Marjorie. Thanks so much for sharing your minds and your hearts. You are inspiring to better myself and my home. Oh. Thank you so much, Ari Bobari. Thank you, Ari. You are the best. And please reach out to us. You can find both of us on Instagram at Best to the Nest or at Eliz Reese and at It's Me Marjorie One. We are also on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, Marjorie. Until next time. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.